Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Keep up with the latest headlines from Austin and beyond on the all-new Talk1370.com. Stay informed with the latest news, weather, contests, and more. It's all just a click away at Talk1370.com. Just one more way to stay connected with Talk 1370. Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill. Les Kaiser and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio. Speed City. Good evening, gearheads. Welcome to Speed City. If we can survive this storm and keep the power on at the radio station, we're going to have an incredible show because this was the most fantastic day in racing, as it always is this time of year. Biggest John, day of the year. It's John Massengill, it's Les Kaiser, and we have Jonathan Green on the phone because he's just leaving the Indianapolis racetrack. Mr. Green, how are you? Hoo-wee, speed buggy. Wow, <laughs> what a race day. What an Indy 500, boys. Yeah, what a Monaco Grand Prix. It was. Uh, I don't think this uh, day disappointed me at all. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, focus for me on the Indy 500, but I, I've just not seen better racing. And I can tell you what, I, I'm not comparing ever, but I mean, the excitement that the Indy 500 have, especially having uh, the jewel in the crown from Formula One, Fernando Alonso, who was absolutely scintillating. Uh, and I really feel for him because I think he could have won. I know it was uh, it was uh, unbelievable watching him. I mean, at one point when he and Rossi were battling it out first and second, and uh, I was just literally jumping all around, getting the getting the kids saying, "Come look, come look!" and uh, it, it was uh, it was an amazing day. And Alonso, of course, with what twenty laps to go, uh, is just heartbreaking. But obviously, um, he didn't. He proved everything he needed to prove. I think. Don't you guys agree? Oh, I think it was a, you know, very much a redemption uh, for for Fernando myself, or as they were saying, Fernando. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think he redeemed himself because there he was in a car that was performing great. It showed what he's capable of doing. For more, you know. Also, this is a new challenge. Like I said, I mean, he completed what seven hundred and eight hundred miles uh, over the past couple of weeks in an Indy car. It's his first time in a car of this nature since going to F one. And uh, there's, it's a whole different dimension, not only because it, it's a round-around course, it's an oval, versus a road course that he's used to. Uh, the technology is very different. The mindset about how to perform in this car is very different. So uh, it's a big, big adjustment, and it's, it's not easy to do. But I will say that I think a lot of folks who maybe sneered in the indie crowd looking over at the F1 crowd are... are getting a, a new adjustment themselves after seeing Sato and you're seeing what Rossi did and, uh, and Fernando. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, you yeah. were there. Jonathan was there all weekend, all week, I should say. And, and, uh, if you check our SoundCloud account, you'll see all the interviews you got all week long, Jonathan, but you were at ground zero. You got to see Takuma Sato right after the race. You got to see Rossi and Alonzo and everybody. I mean, what are your, what are your impressions right now? I mean, having just left there. 
Well, there's no question. I remember talking to Doug Bowles, the president of IMF, last year after the 100th. And, um, you know, we kind of went, well, how do you top that? Because rookie winning and the 100th year, a massive crowd. And I think, to be honest, Alonso tipped the balance. But there were so many great stories. But Alonso was definitely the biggest story of the month, not just because of who he was, but how he approached it. The grace and style um, that... Uh, he brought to Indy, uh, and the humbleness, that's the only way I can describe it, because he is a big dude, he is a big star, he's so respected by the IndyCar drivers for what he's done in Formula One, um, but the way he went about his work and the ethic he did, and his racecraft to me was impeccable. I mean, he was racing four wide, having never raced an oval in his life, and having spoken to the likes uh, of Justin Wilson, who made the transition, of Dan Weldon, who made the transition, uh, on Rossi, of course, um, they all said, you know, it can take a few years before you get your head around an Indy course. Even Montoya was saying that Indy was an easier track than some of the other, or less forgive, or more forgiving than some of the other tracks. But even so, it's no mean feat to jump in a car um, and do what he did. And more, more importantly, when he got out of the car, the roar from the crowd, he, he basically won Indy over. And I also think to Les's point, that yeah, a few of the indie crowd were a little bit vicious um, at first. But I'll tell you what, I think the Formula One crowd, who had all day to tune in after their race, will have really got a thrill to watch that kind of racing and realize how much respect that Fernando has for IndyCar. So I think in the end, Zach Brown, Fernando and Indy really win today. Yeah, Jonathan, I think so too. I think it's uh, I think it goes both ways. And we've got some interviews that you did with both Zach Brown and uh, from the press conference, and you had a one on one with Zach Brown. And in fact, you know, let's play that one now, Jonathan. Why don't you set this one up for us? Well, it's a funny story because I didn't even know Zach Brown was necessarily at Indy. I didn't see him all weekend. I did an interview with Gilles de Ferran, who was uh, Fernando's mentor, if you will, the 2003 winner. Um, but I didn't know Zach was even in town because obviously he's the manager of the McLaren Formula One team, but he's from Indianapolis, and he set up the deal. It was his idea. He basically pulled it off with Mark Miles uh, and Doug Bowles from the Speedway, and he was the one that kind of just saddled up and suggested it to Fernando, who leapt at the opportunity. So I literally caught up with Zach as he was walking into the press office to, to basically sit in front of the world's press uh, with 10 laps to go, and he was just crestfallen, uh, as you'll hear in this interview. Well, Zach, for everybody's heartfelt, and I know what this means to McLaren um, and for Fernando, because it's been such a successful month. How can you sum it up? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Uh, right this moment, uh, very disappointed, uh, very sad for everyone at uh, McLaren and Andretti uh, and Fernando. He drove unbelievably well. The, the teams, uh, McLaren and Andretti, were we're perfect and um, just can't believe we uh, ended 20 laps from the end with a chance to win with uh, a lot of smoke coming out of the back of the car, which unfortunately um, is something that's not the first time we've seen. But from a positive point of view, the response from the crowd and the response of the media, it was partly your decision and his obviously to come here. He's going to come back. Oh, I'm sure uh, once we get over the pain that we're feeling right now, uh, we'll reflect back on the month and it, it's been an outstanding uh, Indy 500. Uh, he's thoroughly enjoyed it. 
Uh, we've all been around racing long enough to uh, have disappointments, but uh, right now this one uh, this one stings. He had a uh, he had a good chance. I'm going to say on behalf of all race fans, thanks for trying and keep trying again. Uh, we'll keep trying. Thank you. Jonathan, you hit the nail on the head when you said from all us race fans, thanks for thanks for doing this because it was. I mean, everybody, the world was fascinated. I, at one point, I was thinking towards I don't know 150 laps, whatever. I thought if Alonso wins this. The the motorsports world is going to explode. Okay, but but to be honest, are they going to go? Oh, so India isn't so tough after all. We sent two of our F one guys over there, and they nailed it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> you know what? I I, I mean, I know you're right, Les. It's a very good point, but <clears throat> I, I really do think that uh, it's kind of why I love Speed City so much is because motor racing. You know, it's so polarized. You know, you're either an Indy fan or an NASCAR fan or a Formula One fan. And that's just bunkum. If you're a race fan, I mean, I love motorbike racing as much as I love Formula One. Uh, you know, I love good guys going fast. Uh, you know, they're my heroes. They're my idols. And I don't care who it is and what they're racing. They could be racing in wheelchairs for all I care. And, you know, I just love the thrill of the competition and the thrill of racing. And, and I believe that Fernando does too. And I think that He's done so much this week uh, and this month to kind of just say to, to race fans, hey, guys, yes, I'm a two-time world champion of this sport, but I've always wanted to race in this amazing race, which it is, and it's a different challenge. And, and he'll do Le Mans. He'll do these other races. And that's why I think, you know, it's just great for motorsport in general. Exactly. And so I watched quite a bit of what was going on, specifically around Fernando, because I wanted to watch kind of how he was received. And, you know, I have to say he was very well received. They talked about in excess of 100 international motorsport credentials were requested after the announcement that he was coming. And so two million people that watched that practice, his first practice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so think of what that did for IndyCars. There's a new audience that came out of the curiosity of what Alonzo was going to do. But Alonzo himself said he was there and he enjoyed every bit of this. And he goes, I, I was learning every step along the way about, oh, okay, I've got to go do this. I, th- I think he and uh, Rossi went for a media day, which was Tuesday. And it was like, oh, we do a lot of things for the fans and for media that, and he said, I think they've got it right here. Yeah. Which to me kind of said, hey, F1. Maybe Chase Carey is going to bring some of this our direction. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was really wise. I think he had a personal connection now to the way things are so accessible. Well, I, I love what you said, Jonathan, about about all the different sports and nice guys. I mean, Alonzo, you said earlier, grace, class. And, and how could you not be rooting for the guy? I mean, I, I know that there is that the, the hard diehards that are, you know, either all F1 or all Indy or whatever, but... Uh, but he's such a nice guy, and and in speaking of nice guys, I want to transition because the guy who won the race, Takuma Sato. I mean, Jonathan, you got to see him after the race, right after the race, take a photo with him, and uh, and we've got some some clips from the press conference. But tell us what you saw when you got to meet him. Well, Takuma Sato remains probably one of the most popular racing drivers in the world, and I've known since you know he's. He's, the, he's so much like Tony Kanaan. He's the people's champion. And in Japan, he's an absolute rock star. And if you remember, in 2012, he came so close. He was half a lap. In fact, it was turn one where he went off. So he was three quarters of a lap from winning the Indy 500. And he just got too low in turn one. 
And, you know, that, that, was, that was his closest to becoming a superhero. And today he was put under massive pressure from Castro Neves. He's had a fantastic month of May. All the other Hondas are falling by the wayside, and he just kept foot down, pedal to the metal, and does what he does best, which is, you know damn well if you're in a fight with Takuma Sato, he ain't giving up. He's a, he's a Japanese, Japanese samurai, if ever there was one. <laughs> Well, it was it was great because to see him win because obviously he's what he's forty years old. He's been racing for a long time, and he is a popular guy. Like you said, around the world, so it was great to see him win. Well, well, guys, let's take a break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to play some clips because we've got a clip of Takuma Sato, the winner of today's Indy Five Hundred. Listen to Speed City live from Austin, Texas. Back after these messages. Augusta motorcycles are the epitome of Italian style, precisely crafted with a passion for two-wheel art on wheels. Ducati Austin are the only MB Augusta and Ducati factory authorized technicians in Austin, servicing all European brands. Check the Brutali Sport Naked, the most extreme essential naked bike ever. Or the Turismo Veloce 800, the first revolutionary tourer to be built by MB Augusta. Or if you want a pedigree steeped in racing, then look no further than the World Supersport winning triple F3, 675 and 800. Or go all out for the ultimate legendary F4 MV Augusta. Italian style with Texas soul. Trade-in, consignments welcome and financing available. Ducati Austin and the home of MV Augusta at 818 Breaker Lane, just east of I-35. Precision Camera and Video is the largest camera store in Texas with over 10,000 square feet and packed with all the latest manufacturer offerings. Founded in 1976 and still owned and operated by its founders Jerry and Rosemary Sullivan, Precision Camera is committed to the finest customer experience. With hand-picked products and on-hand experts, you won't find a more helpful, knowledgeable and accommodating sales staff for quality service. Come see for yourself Precision Camera and Video, 2438 West Anderson Lane. We know Austin traffic can be a challenge. Come on, I can drive take you that gap. Put your foot on the gas and move it. Beat the commute with time saver traffic. Mornings and afternoons on Talk 1370, the right choice. Making talk radio great again. Somebody has to come out and tell it like it is. Talk 1370, the right choice. Hi, this is Mario Andretti and this is Speed City. Nice job, producer. Mario Andretti, he dug that one up for us. Mario uh, obviously was... You can't talk Indy and Formula One in the same show without talking Mario Andretti. Absolutely. There's your answer. And we're going to talk about Formula One here in a minute because it was Monaco today, so we can't... I mean, I know it was Indy, but Monaco, I I love the race. I know it was a little bit uh, processional and, and not that exciting, but there was some great things in there for me, particularly Haas double points for the first time in history. And we're going to talk a lot more about that. But one thing I want to get into before we go back and hear some clips from Takuma Sato, uh, today's winner at Windy 500, I want to I want to talk about Nikki Hayden because we talked about it last week. And I, I just uh, – I really don't even know where you to know, go with this. You know, he was a friend of the show. I know uh, I've worked with him for about four or five years when they come here. Jonathan, you've worked even longer. And, and you stated uh, elegance and class uh, about Fernando. I, I've got to say the same thing with, uh, with Nikki. Yeah, you're right. I mean, absolutely. Uh, there's very few true gentlemen of the, this sport, and I don't mean that rudely to anybody, but 
Justin Wilson, we'd lost him. He was one of those guys. Fernando is one of those guys. And Mickey Hayden uh, is, without doubt, a, a true gentleman and a true pa- had a true passion for the sport generally. Uh, being at Indianapolis this week, um, you realize just how big an influence Nicky was because at the amount of drivers here carrying Nicky stickers and, and how it affected the press office because obviously uh, MotoGP came here for many years and Nicky was from Kentucky and he would come up and uh, he would even entertain at some of the 400s even. So he was a celebrity here year round in Indianapolis. And in fact, the Hayden family had their own corner during the MotoGP weekends where they would invite their friends just at turn one. So, yeah, a massive, massive loss. Uh, and in the most cruel way, um, you know, you expect it's a bit like Michael Schumacher. You, you know, you expect these guys to be hurt, perhaps doing what they do, which is dangerous at the best of times. And yet um, all of motorsports, you know, athletes do bicycle racing and bicycle training all the time. And Nick, no exception. And, you know, it's just, it's just heartbreaking for him, for his family, for Roger Hayden, who races in America, uh, for Rose's mom and, and, you know, Earl, his father. They're, they're absolutely, we, we call them, you know, royalty in, in motorcycle racing in America. And he really was, uh, you know, King Nicky for sure. You know, you're right. You know, uh, when you introduced me to him, I mean, yeah, they're royalty, but there were no velvet ropes separating you. It was, you suddenly became a friend. And, uh, you know, I, I got to reach out and say, get well, Earl. I know you stayed home and are dealing with your own health issues and weren't able to uh, go visit Nikki and sit by bedside. So uh, good luck, Earl. Yeah, rest in yeah, peace, okay. Nikki Hayden. <clears throat> well, hey, guys, you know, now, now a little connection there. I'm going to say if you watched Monaco and you paid attention when uh, they did went to Lewis, uh, Lewis Hamilton's in-car cam, you saw a Nikki Hayden sticker on Lewis's helmet, so That's awesome. kudos. You're right; he crosses it all over the motorsports world. Well, Jonathan, there was a bunch of guys at uh, at Indy that were um, they were giving tribute to Nikki as well, weren't there? Absolutely, yeah. There was there was Nikki stickers on probably a third of the field, uh, especially Americans. Um, you know, I mean, everybody, um, even Montoya, um, you know, talked about him in an interview I did earlier in the week. Um, you know, he was just a, like I said, I can't, I can't describe it. I mean, the Hayden family are true blue motorsports, you know, it's in their veins. It's as simple as that. Um, and there's not many legacy families like that, uh, anymore. And, and he, you know, he's old school. He's, he's, he's what the tradition of American motorsport was built on, built on. Yep. Well, guys, let's talk about Takuma Sato. We've, we mentioned it earlier in the show. We talked about uh, how he'd gotten here. But uh, let's, let's play a couple of clips from him because he's such a humble guy. And I, I want to play this first one. It's just basically on his wins. Let's hear Takuma Sato. When I come, I have to give the 100% commitment. I knew I could do it, but just, you know, waiting the moment. And then uh, the last few laps, there was a moment. And uh, now Helio is always come on charge but he's just such a such a gentleman who is a, such a fair player so uh, I believed him and uh, we got side one side time one and I just it was jumped up so uh, the last two laps car walked beautifully and I just cannot thank enough everyone to support it Jonathan you were right there he was talking about Elio Castroneves is that right yeah he was talking about how he and Elio were basically going side by side and, and what a gentleman he was because obviously they were arch rivals and Elio you know, was going for that fourth. You know, he was trying to get in the record book. 
And, um, <clears throat> you know, there's no question that there was a massive respect. And like I said, the thing about Sato is, you know he's not going to give it. He's one of those drivers that, I mean, you know, he was known, you know, he's famously known for that 2012 crash uh, because he took the dive down the inside. But he's, you know, he's also had some big chunks in Indy. Um, he's one, he, you know, like I said, he's, he's Japanese through and through. I mean, talk about determined. You just don't, you, you know you're up against, every driver says you know you're up against somebody if you're against Sato because he won't lift. Well, I want to play one more clip from Takuma Sato because it, it's just a short one. It talked about how big this win is going to be in Japan because, Jonathan, you set that up earlier. You talk about he's so such a huge, hugely popular around the world. But in Japan, I think this is going to be uh, incredible. So let's yeah. hear this. Let's hear Takuma Sato again. This will be mega big. I mean, I cannot imagine how it's going to, going to be. Obviously, the Motegi time, it was in Japan. You know, it was, it was a very, very good race, I thought. And, uh, the fans very appreciate for the uh, and for me it's just personally you know home home race is always something special but uh, nowadays a lot of Japanese uh, the fans following IndyCar series and particularly for the Indy 500 I know they flying over from Japan today and many many people came so uh, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of uh, what we achieved and team gave a superb opportunity and uh, we showed the finally the great result today so I'm very pleased about it. Yeah, well, this is great. I think it's good for the sport with a guy like him being so popular. But, but Jonathan, I want to I want to jump into some of the rest of the stuff you did at Indy because I, if you if you guys check out our SoundCloud account, I bet we've got I don't know fifteen, sixteen, seventeen interviews, yeah. and, and maybe we're going to have a few more to push up there in the next uh, day or so. But but you were there all week, and I, every time I talked to you, you were like a sixteen year old with his first car. I mean, it, it, you got to you have to tell us some some of the electric. The experience that you had, because it sounded incredible. Well, I want to start with Sato because, me personally, I've known him since he was a kid of 17. And I was at the Macau Grand Prix, and he was racing in Formula BMW, and nobody knew who he was. And he, so he wasn't even in the Macau Grand Prix. He was in the you know junior races. And I was sat having lunch, and this guy came across to me. His manager said, hey, I want you get get up, get up, leave your meal. I want you to meet this kid. This kid is going to go all the way to Formula One and be somebody. And he's now basically Japan's greatest ever racing driver because of what he's achieved today. So, yeah, for me, that was just a fantastic moment. I even went up to him in, in the media day and I said, dude, I said, what were you doing in, in qualifying? I said, I almost fell off my couch back <laughs> in Austin. I said, he said, I know. He said, I hit the wall pretty hard, huh? And, I, and you know, the guy, the guy hit the same wall that Sebastian Bourdais as we all know, didn't come off any better from. But, I mean, he just glanced off the wall and kept going and managed to qualify fourth on the grid. I mean, you know, his tenacity is, is just incredible. But what, just to answer your question, yeah, the week of Indy is so special because it's just, it's like Christmas in the whole town and everybody's in that Christmas spirit. Everybody's talking about Indy. Everybody's talking about Rossi. Everybody's talking about Fernando. Everybody's got an opinion. Policemen, barbers. Uh, milkman, uh, hotel staff, cab drivers. It's just, it's electrifying because it just, and, and Les was there last year and I'm sure he'll concur. It just, it just takes over the whole town and it's infectious and everybody's in a good mood. It's just amazing. <laughs> it really is, you know, and I, I was explaining it to somebody yesterday what that weekend was like when I got in there. I got there on carb day and spent the weekend through the race. 
and the entire place comes to life and it's there's so many different events all over town jonathan and i got to go to what was essentially a fantasy football except for the indycar drivers that was insanely exciting to to see and hear everybody talking and and drawing that and uh you know i, I bet you probably crossed paths with some of that crew this week did anybody oh, yeah. say anything about the guy that took rossi at 38 to 1 <laughs> well i tell you what was funny is that no one could believe that alonzo was the was the vegas favorite which is pretty pretty impressive when you think about it yeah to one um but when you see what he did on the track hey it's pretty pretty uh impressive yeah i mean you're absolutely right it's the longest i've spent there I've been, i was there uh from monday onwards and like i said you know there was practice on monday so there was press conferences then uh tuesday wednesday you know it just keeps rolling on carb day was fantastic uh, you know, the whole thing is it's amazing. It's just truly amazing. Um, it, it, it's, it's, I, I don't know. I've not experienced anything like it in, in my covering of all sports. And it ends on the Sunday with the biggest sporting event in the world. I mean, how can you be disappointed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, Jonathan. It, uh, it's an incredible experience. And, you know, I got to experience a little bit when I went up there for MotoGP last year, two years ago. Because it is indie and it is that iconic place. But, well, guys, I want to play one more clip before we go to this next break. Um, we got a, a little clip from Fernando Alonso. It was during the press conference. It was Fernando Alonso post race, and so because uh, he kind of wraps up his weekend with this. Let's uh, let's hear from Fernando Alonso. Amazing experience. Thanks to the car. Thanks to Indianapolis. Thanks to the fans. I felt at home. I'm not American, but. Uh, I felt really proud to, to race here, and um, and yeah, congratulations uh, to Satosan, uh, to Andretti. We've been sharing the last two weeks all the meetings in the morning, the meetings in the afternoon, and uh, Takuma was a big help coming from F1 also, uh, a lot of advices to me. So in the last two laps, I was you know on my knees, you know really pushing Sato, you know, so extremely happy for the final result. He's my physiotherapist, uh, Zach Brown, uh, <laughs> come with me around the world. And, uh, uh, thanks to Zach as well, to, to all McLaren to make this uh, possible, to make this happen. I think uh, McLaren as a company, you know, um, the success in, in IndyCar in the past, the success in Formula One, and now the the road cars, the level they reach, you know, I think um, we need to, to feel very proud as a racing fans, as a drivers, as a, a journalist, you know, to have McLaren here. I think it's uh, a, a very good news for the sport, and this is only thanks to, to Zach. All right, that was Fernando Alonso. Let's go ahead and take a break, guys, and when we come back, we're going to jump into the Monaco Grand Prix Formula One. Thanks for tuning in to the Sunday Night with Speed City. We'll be back after these messages. motorcycles in this part of the country for long no doubt you know of bud's motorcycle shop bud left this world a while back but his legendary harley service rides on no longer is bud's in downtown austin it is now Ravel's heavy duty and they've moved out by the formula one track you'll see all the familiar faces so bring in your new used and abused but there's no sign of shiny showroom prices 
So check it out at RebelsHeavyDuty.com. Precision Camera and Video is the largest camera store in Texas with over 10,000 square feet and packed with all the latest manufacturer offerings. Founded in 1976 and still owned and operated by its founders Jerry and Rosemary Sullivan, Precision Camera is committed to the finest customer experience. With hand-picked products and on-hand experts, you won't find a more helpful, knowledgeable and accommodating sales staff for quality service. Come see for yourself Precision Camera and Video, 2438 West Anderson Lane. The Racetrack. It's where legends are born, where only the finest machines earn their reputation for innovation and dominance. Such are the nameplates you'll find at Aston Martin of Austin, Lotus of Austin, Bentley Austin and Rolls-Royce Motorcars. Austin exotic, iconic automobiles whose racing heritage turns everyday driving into an inspiring journey because you're never just along for the ride. Highway 183 north of McNeil Road. Take talk with you anywhere. On your computer or smartphone, log on to talk1370.com. A beautiful, beautiful sight. Stay connected with Talk 1370, the right choice. This is David Hobbs, and you're listening to Speed City. Yeah, this weather we are having right now, this lightning show is about as crazy as I've seen, man. It looks dangerous out there. Good old frog floater for sure. Definitely uh, definitely be careful. Hey, you know, the next big F1 race is the Canadian Grand Prix. And uh, just like last year, we're going to do something special. Speed City, along with Ferrari of Austin and the Hill Country Ferrari Club, we're putting on a party out at right. Silver Americas. Come on out to the Velocity Lounge. Events start about noon, but uh, this is really special. It's going to be a great event. I want to invite, in particularly, I want to invite somebody to the car show that's not often invited to a car show. You know, what's what's the rule about car shows? Don't touch the cars. Yeah, right. We're breaking that rule with very good intention. So proud that uh, these Ferrari owners, they're bringing their cars, and they are particularly inviting anyone that is blind or visually impaired. Oh, that's awesome. You said to touch the cars, right? To touch the cars. They're going to be provided uh, extremely soft gloves. These owners <laughs> are going to be standing by their cars, and they're going to make sure that uh, those of you that interpret things by touch get to touch these cars and be able to really experience everything about the Ferrari. And, uh, you know, it, it's just really setting up. We've got some other activities. We're hoping to take you out on a parade lap, too. So <laughs> you can also feel what's so great about it by the seat of your pants. So uh, I can't I can't uh, think of a better car to, t- to learn about by feel than a Ferrari, the curves of a Ferrari. Exactly. And, you know, they, they've already got uh, four decades worth of Ferraris committing to the event. So wow. please uh, come join us. We're going to see the Canadian Grand Prix first and following the end of that. Uh, that'll take place in the Velocity Lounge on the big screens. After the race is over, we're going to go out to the parking lot. We're going to get to uh, share those Ferraris with everyone that attends. And like I said, please be sure and invite uh, your folks that are visually impaired. Would love to have them out and interpret things the way and they that's, do. That's uh, June 11th, the Sunday? June 11th, June 11th. Awesome. All right, well, let's talk some Formula One. I want to jump in and start talking about Ferrari at the top. I mean, obviously, a 1-2 for Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen. But it may not have been in that order, necessarily, depending uh, on the way things went down. What do you think, Mr. Kaiser? I think uh, Mr. Raikkonen had uh, had some valid concerns. You know, it wasn't exactly team orders, but it's it's really just kind of the usual team protocol. 
if there had been swapped, he, he would have benefited in the same way that Sebastian had benefited. And so digging into that a little bit more, uh, you know, there was some tire life uh, that came into play. And so it placed Vettel ahead of Raikkonen at the time that they were going to come in. And so the, the team general rules are, no matter who, you know, with disregard of who's out in front, whoever's leading, whichever the teammates is in front, kind of sets the pace for the next pit for the tire change. Yeah. So it was Sebastian that was out in front, but Sebastian in this case had better tires, better tire life management through this point. And so the way that played out is Raikkonen had to wait on Sebastian who went about two laps further than Raikkonen was anywhere capable of doing it at pace. I think it was three more laps, yeah. Yeah, and uh, then Vettel pulled in. So the rule was Raikkonen couldn't pull in until Vettel did. Vettel stretched it two to three laps. And some of the uh, thoughts are that Vettel didn't have to do that. But when it he got a clear opening, he stomped on it. He made some extra time. And in 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 that situation... Raikkonen had to stay on his worn-out, deadbeat tires for another two to three laps, losing even further ground. Well, I was amazed at how Raikkonen didn't... Uh, he was really... Uh I don't want to say mature or what, but he was—he didn't really go at the team about it. I mean, he was—he was a very good team player. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah, and and you know, to be honest, you know, if he really knew how that was playing out, I have to question because we've seen, you know, little little snits in the, amongst the teams. And some big ones. I wonder what would have happened if Raikkonen and Co. Vettel passed the entrance to the pit. I'm taking it and zipped in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder how that would have played out. Yeah, I can't imagine. What do you think, Jonathan? I, I know you were at Indy today, and I know you didn't get to see the entire race, but but uh, well, from what you've heard and, and what you know about these guys, what do you think? Well, you know, I, I don't think that Raikkonen has any reason to be bummed out. I mean, Vettel, that was technically brilliant by Vettel because he's brilliant on tires. And I think, you know, it's not, yeah, I, I just think that's pure racing on Vettel's part, which is, you can go longer on your tires, uh, forget Raikkonen for a second, that's going to give you an advantage over everybody because you never know with Monaco, it only needs one caution and everybody's, you know, not using their tires as hard. So if you can go two extra laps, as Vettel did, then good for you because that's tactically the way to go. Well, the, one of the big things, is, guys, is how long has it been since Ferrari won at Monaco? I think it was... 12 like, years. Yeah, I was going to say 12 or 13 years. That is... That's really astounding. I mean, that that's a run that you don't just don't expect to see from Ferrari. Jonathan, I know you have been to Monaco many times and, and probably seen Ferrari win there. No, to be honest, uh, I'm trying to think if I have seen Ferrari win there. You know what? Um, but uh, it's been a while, that's for sure. And it's, it's you know, and, and what's ironic about it is that, you know, of, of course, Ferrari are... The kings, if you will, because Monica, you know, it's where you expect Ferrari to, to be dominant. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I guess it's back to the days of Michael at Ferrari dominating that you have to think about uh, when Ferrari were king there. Yeah, you know uh, what? It's yeah, pretty incredible. It, it was 16 years. <laughs> Unbelievable that it's been that long. That is crazy because the, they hadn't, uh, hadn't won in 16 years at Monaco, which is really incredible to me. But but anyway, there was lots of good racing in the uh, down the grid a little bit because 
I mean, I know it's Monaco, and I know there's not tons of passing, but of course, my favorite thing of the entire race was the fact that Haas, for the first time in their history, had both guys in the points, and probably should have had even more points because Magnussen had a puncture, but uh, how great is that, guys, to see Haas F1 with dual points, and this puts them eighth in the Constructors' Championship. First time for double points. Yep. First time, and... Yeah, go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, I, I think it's awesome. I mean, Monaco, um, you know, just to give you an example, Monaco is, is something over like 2,000, uh, 2,500 gear changes, um, which is quite the same in modern-day gear, you know, gearing, as it were. But it's still, uh, it's a grueling track. Um, and to come out on top and to come out in the points, any time you go to Monaco is an achievement. So, yeah. That in, that in itself is fantastic. Yeah, you know, they've been doing it for quite some time. Uh, it was looking back, 1929 is the first Grand Prix in Monaco that was run. And it's uh, one of the longest running races in the world. I, I think, uh, you know, Indy's a little bit longer than that. But uh, anyway, just, just imagine how long that's been there, all the changes through that. And, you know, they I heard uh, a spec on the track that I was surprised at. Total elevation is 135 feet. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> yeah, it does. Pretty close to the 133 at Coda. There you go. So I didn't I didn't realize that it had that dramatic of an incline. John, you were there a few years back, not during race weekend, yeah. but did you get the opportunity to, to drive around at least the course that's I, used? I actually walked it. I walked through the tunnel and it was race day and we the we actually got delayed and didn't get there in time. This was this was 20 something years ago. Uh but but yeah, I've walked it, and it's pretty pretty healthy elevation change. And of course, the yachts and everybody were were pulling out as we were trying to walk through there, and they were pulling up all the uh, the barriers and stuff. But yeah, it's pretty good elevation for sure. I've got a I've got an ironic one for you. Last time I was at Monaco, guess who won in a McLaren? Alonso. No, Montoya. Oh, <laughs> there you go. So you followed him to Indy. I did. <laughs> well, it was uh, it was great to see Haas do that, and um, and of course, you know, Ricardo. Last you brought it up before the show, Ricardo had a great race. Ricardo did have a good race, and you know, I, he was very pleasant. You know, last year, quite honestly, his pit crew gave his race away, called him into the pit. There were no tires out on pit lane for him. They had to grab him, put him on. That's what cost him. He stayed on the podium, but. But nonetheless, that was uh, that was a real shame, and you know, even through all of that, you could tell he was so disgruntled last year. But uh, again, held it very well. Hey, you know, there were a lot of crashes, and we don't often talk about those. But one, our buddy Scott Dixon, talk about a flying crash with uh, Jay Howard, really could have been deadly at the Indy 500. I'm sorry, we we jumped yeah, back yeah. to that. I just yeah, that to me was the most incredible crash. Ever. I know. We can't not talk about that. That and, thing was crazy. When I saw that, uh, they, they had just come back from break, and I walked out of the room and came back, and I, maybe five seconds, and I saw the car, a half a car sitting on the track, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then I realized immediately you could see him moving in the car immediately. Yeah. And yeah. But that crash, when that thing hit the wall like that, like cutting it, mm-hmm. hitting the wall and slicing the back of the car off, that was crazy. Just crazy. But uh, What sorry. was going on at the track, Jonathan, when that happened? Yeah, I mean, the, I was in the press room and the whole place just gasped because you, you just, 
first of all, you know, you realised how fast he was going. Um, he It wasn't Howard's fault. Um, in fact, I did an interview with Jay Howard at the medical centre who blamed um, Ryan Hunter Ray for his crash um, because he basically put him into the marble, which meant he was, he said, I was a passenger at that point, and then he just hit the wall. Um, but uh, as far as Dixon's crash went, I mean, how lucky was he? Because, you know, it ripped the whole back of the car off. But if he'd have hit that wall just a few inches towards the front more of the car, he would have ripped the top of the car off and not being funny, would have, you know, literally landed on his head. Well, you know, one of the things is the entire passenger <laughs> capsule maintained its structure rigidity and so that was a that was really the the thing that came out of that and you know he thanked the the indycar series for their requirements in that my thoughts are the momentum that was carried by the engine and gearbox in the back is what actually snapped it at that point that's the attachment point that those uh, primarily that was the breaking point yeah and i think it did hit in the right place too but you're you're right the uh, capsule is obviously a, a big part of the structure well let's jump back to f1 and I know that uh, we talked about Ferrari with the one-two. But let's run down the grid. It was Sebastian Vettel, Kimi Räikkönen, and Daniel Ricciardo in third, and Valtteri Bottas and Max Verstappen in fourth and fifth. Carlos Sainz, Lewis Hamilton, Grosjean, Felipe Massa, and Kevin Magnussen. But you know, let's talk about Mercedes. Um, it was really kind of uneventful because obviously once Hamilton started so far down, what did he start at, at tenth or was it eleven? Uh, Thirteen. And he yeah. finished at seven. Yeah. And so he, uh, I mean, obviously doing well, but he was a benefit of some crashes there, some cars going out. And I know that he, after the, at the end of the race, he was very humble and saying, I was glad to do what I did. But man, was he upset after qualifying. Did you see? <laughs> he didn't want to get out of the car. Yeah. You know, that was, uh, that was actually because of his positioning. I believe it was uh, Kevin Magnuson that he came up behind. Maybe wrong in that name, but he came up during qualifying. He caught up behind somebody, and that held him up and caused him to cut down his pace uh, way be- way below the qualifying pace that he would have been. It was uh, something that, you know, had he not had that interruption, he certainly would have been in the front couple of rows of it. But uh, that relegated him back to the 13th row because of that interruption in his uh, flying lap. Yep. Well, it was uh, you know it was typical Monaco though. Obviously, the uh, the the way the track is laid out, you're not going to get a ton of passing, and it is so unbelievably important to start on the front row. Yeah, and Ferrari and, did just and that. it was Magnussen, and I'm recollecting my thoughts there. Uh, Magnussen actually experienced a tire puncture, and that's why he slowed down. And it was in a bad place that Hamilton couldn't get by him, so it wasn't as if it was malicious. But uh, you know. Tire punctures were happening at a, a ridiculous rate during qualifying and, and even during the race. Uh, there were several close-ups off of the Formula One broadcast of the inside tires clipping the apex. And realize, remember, folks, they're dealing with an eight-inch wider tire track on the front end this year, and that just makes Monaco even more stressful and more critical in the driving there. Yep. Well, this also gives Ferrari a, a big step towards the championship, but also in the constructors because they moved ahead of Mercedes now. I think it's like um, 196 to 179. And you realize this is their first 1-2 since Germany in 2010 for Ferrari. I mean, that It's big. It, it's weird to say that, knowing Ferrari's history and everything. So, But, yeah, go ahead, Jonathan. 
Yeah, I got one point to make, which I think you know kind of sums up the day, or at least it's a footnote. Um, two things. You know, when we get to Austin and Hamilton's is it seventh place he got today? Yes. Uh, compared to uh, Vettel winning, could be the difference that makes the end of the season, including Austin, so exciting because you know it's going to be close between all of them, but I think it's going to come down to Vettel and Hamilton. And I think, you know, we'll look back at Monaco and say what happened that weekend because Hamilton's lost massive points. The, uh, the other, so therefore Vettel's, in, you know, increased his lead. But the other thing is um, the double points that Indy 500 scores means that now um, Elio Castroneves now leads the IndyCar championship. And at, uh, at his fair age, that's not bad. <laughs> Very cool. Well, uh, bouncing back and forth, some cool stats. Uh, let's see. Ferrari, this is their 90th one-two finishes. <laughs> In that's, the Grand Prix that's history. Why, that's why make, having, not having one since 2010 is such a huge stat. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty cool. And then, uh, you know, there was, there was a, lots of cool stats. Uh, there was really a good run-up of F1 stats just being shared this year. And uh, I think Formula One did a great job with it. You know, one of the things we were talking about, Kimi Räikkönen earlier, how he, uh, he was a good, being a good teammate uh, from what the words that he said, but did you see his facial expressions on the podium? More stoic than usual. <laughs> I, I think stoic wasn't. I mean, it, it was. Uh, he was basically saying cuss words uh, all across the board, just with his facial expressions, because he he did not look happy on the podium, and uh, you could tell that he was he was like, okay, I should not be. St- I should be on one more step up here. But well, guys, let's take another quick break. You're listening to Speed City. We're live in Austin, Texas, and we'll be back after these quick messages. Precision Camera and Video is the largest camera store in Texas with over 10,000 square feet and packed with all the latest manufacturer offerings. Founded in 1976 and still owned and operated by its founders Jerry and Rosemary Sullivan, Precision Camera is committed to the finest customer experience. With hand-picked products and on-hand experts, you won't find a more helpful, knowledgeable and accommodating sales staff for quality service. Come see for yourself Precision Camera and Video, 2438 West Anderson Lane. Envia Gusta motorcycles are the epitome of Italian style, precisely crafted with a passion for two-wheel art on wheels. Ducati Austin are the only Envia Gusta and Ducati factory authorized technicians in Austin, servicing all European brands. Check the Brutali Sport Naked, the most extreme essential naked bike ever. Or the Turismo Veloce 800, the first revolutionary tourer to be built by Envia Gusta. Or if you want a pedigree steeped in racing, then look no further than the World Supersport winning triple F3, 675 and 800. Or go all out for the ultimate legendary F4 Envy Augusta. Italian style with Texas soul. Trade-in, consignments welcome and financing available. Ducati Austin and the home of Envy Augusta at 818 Breaker Lane, just east of I-35. Hi, this is Gordon Deal. Join me weekdays for This Morning, America's First News. Hear the stories you'll be talking about and searching for all day as we go beyond the headlines and above the chatter. Weekdays at 5 on Talk 1370. When news happens, it happens here. Talk 1370, the right choice. Hi, this is Jeff Gordon, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to Speed City. 
Looks Thanks, like the, Jeff. Looks like the weather's calmed down. I think we're going to be able to make it to the end of the show. I got. I want to play a couple more clips because Jonathan, you've got a whole bunch of of good uh, audio for us out there in, at Indianapolis, and I want to play a couple more of these. I want to start with. Uh, let's play this clip from Ed Jones, Jonathan. You want to just a quick setup on that? Yeah, I spoke to Ed, obviously. I mean, this is a rookie, remember? Ed Jones had never competed in the Indy 500. He's won the Freedom 100 a couple of years ago in Indy Lights with, um, you know, when he was in the Indy Lights series. But he he basically is in his full full first rookie season in Indy. So this was a big opportunity for him. And he is a Brit that grew up in Dubai, of all places. But... um, He's British all the way through, and it was just a phenomenal run. He could well have won, won, won the race. So he was heartbroken, I suppose, at the end of the race, and I spoke to him. Well, Ed, I don't know what to say. Um, I mean, first of all, what a brilliant performance. You've got to be pleased with that. Yes, you wanted to win and you came close, but uh, you, you've had a hell of a day. Yeah, it was a fantastic race. We had a lot, lots of ups and downs with damage to the car, and then we got lucky with the last yellow there. But the car was solid the whole time and gave me the opportunity to take cars and be in the running. And yeah, it's great to be in that last last fight than the top three really. We just with that damage we had, it was just made it not really a, a possible to get by those guys, which was really frustrating. But that's the game, and uh, hopefully we can come back next year and have another opportunity uh, to go for the win. For your own career, I mean, obviously you've had a lot of success so far, but this was big time, and this is you going wheel-to-wheel with Elio Castroneves as the most successful driver on the grid uh, at the moment. Do you feel that uh, it's a big, big step forward for you, for you, for, and also for, for your pe- people's confidence in you as a driver? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's great for me. The season's gone really well so far. This month, I think it's been really good, but overshadowed a bit by Alonso. But, you know, we're the top rookie today, and, you know, I think we were already in front of him before he had that issue. So, um, yeah, I, I knew we were going to be strong, and I'm really thankful for the t- to the team for giving me that opportunity, and hopefully this boosts my career. What have you learned today, do you think, in terms of your, your racecraft? I learned so much. You know, early on, I was struggling quite a lot. And then throughout the race, I just started playing with all the tools in the car and different runs. And I learned so much that towards the end, I really had it had it figured out and it helped me massively. Well, I've got no solace. I know you want to win, but I've, I've, got, some, I've got a little mini milk you can have. Thank you. And a bicky. <laughs> Thanks. So at least that'll keep you going. Thanks Thank for talking you. to us on Speed City. Thanks. Thanks. Jonathan, did you really give him cookies and milk? I gave him a half a pint of milk in a carton <laughs> and a, a biscuit or a cookie, as you would call it, um, that had um, racing is everything on it because I was giving it myself and I just couldn't resist giving him that because you've got to have milk. It's the Indy 500. <laughs> and, and by the way, it is a cookie. It's not a biscuit. A biscuit you put gravy on. Yeah. No, <laughs> sausage gravy at that. <laughs> and he is from Britain, so he understood exactly what a bicky is. <laughs> he did not sound like he lacked confidence at, at all there talking about Alonzo, did he? To be honest, I think um, he, he's going to be a big, big star in the future. I mean, he, that was a very accomplished drive, really accomplished. Well, and I want to. Elio Castro never said said in his press conference that um, he didn't drive like a rookie, and he was really impressed with how he dealt with the fighting with Elio. Yeah. Well, I think we've got time for another one. I want to play uh, this Max Chilton interview you got. Uh, tell us how this one went, Jonathan. Well, Max obviously drove the best drive he's ever had. He, he's looked after by Dario Franchitti, and um, this was only his second run at the Indy 500. And Max has got, got a, a bit of a chip on his shoulder a little bit because his father is very wealthy, and so everybody said he's a paid driver in Formula One. 
His brother races as well, and so he's got a lot of money behind him. But I think today he proved that it wasn't money that got him to the front of the, 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 the Indy 500 and almost won it. This is what he had to say afterwards. That was a phenomenal run. Your second time here, you've got to be pleased with that. Everybody wants to win this, but you've proved a lot today. Yeah, I gave it everything out there. Um, you know, we struggled so much on the first stint. I was a lap down. And then to come back and lead 30, 40 laps and be in it with... Uh, you know, I lost it by a second and a half. That's, that's how close this race is. But I, I tried everything, uh, and I'm very happy with Gallagher and Chip Ganassi for the car they gave me. You've got to be pleased with the, the way you're racing in Indy now. You look so comfortable out there. Uh, I don't know if it's comfortable. <laughs> I was holding on for dear life. My my grip is aching now, but it's uh, what a race. It's such a long and fast race. It's To me, it's the most uh, important race in the world to win. What were your last thoughts uh, in that last stint? What were you going through your mind? Um all or nothing I just went for it and and I said that to the guys I said this is it I'll give it everything I've got and I I don't feel like I left the stone unturned maybe if I'd held him off we might have kept it but it's, it's a difficult difficult one to say great run we'll see you next year yeah he had obviously had a great race how many laps did he lead I don't know exactly but he was up there for I, I a little bit I want to say he probably yeah he probably led as many laps as Alonso and may, maybe more yeah I, uh, I, I, I was honestly, I don't know why I was a little surprised when I saw him leading that many laps. I, I shouldn't have been cause I know he's a great driver, but, uh, but it's a fun story. Obviously a little redemption for him with like the story you talk about with the, uh, with the, the wealth of his, his family and everything. But Jonathan, we just got about a minute left. Uh, give me your favorite of the weekend, the favorite story, favorite, whatever, because I know it's an electric week up there in Indy and you were there the entire week. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Les will concur with this. I was I was here last year when Rossi won it, and that was so massive for everybody in motorsport because, you know, here was the kid that had come from Formula One, and he hadn't won. And 101, I just, I just thought today, it can't top it. But with Fernando, there was always a chance. And when I saw him, I, I, I had a notebook, and I was going ninth, eighth, seventh, sixth, leading, caution, lead, lead, lead. And it was just... I mean, I, and then I started thinking about the engine. So for me, Fernando and his whole month of May was just a, a very brave move, an audacious attempt to win the greatest spectacle in racing. He will be back, and I'm just so happy that I was there to see Fernando take it on, just as Graham Hill and Jackie Stewart and Jim Clark did back in the day. I got to agree with you because I, I know that there was this, the the aspect of uh, the Indy versus F1, but honestly, I didn't. I wasn't thinking about that. I just wanted to to see Alonso do this because it was such a neat thing, it's such an accomplishment that so many, so few people have done. And I wanted to see Alonso do it. And and part of me, you know, because Alexander Rossi's just been such a friend of the show, being our very first guest five years ago, whatever it was. And I, I really wanted to see like an Alonso. Rossi won two, and it would have been great if Rossi had won it and back to back. It was cool that uh, Rossi pulled up and gave the high five to you know Soto yep. and everything. All right, well we got to wrap it up, guys. Thanks for listening, and thanks to everybody, the Inga Strucka and everybody else that brought us stories this week. Jonathan, have a safe trip back, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Ciao, y'all. Happy trails. <laughs> Texas weather can change on a dime. Flash flooding is expected to begin shortly. 
When the weather turns severe, turn to us for what you need to know. On air and online at Talk1370.com. Talk 1370, the right choice. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.